This is a battle royale, basically, correct? Uh, no, it's small scale. It's gonna be three v three. So it's still, so it's not huge, but it's also not small. So what drove you to kind of try to make a game of this scale as as one of your first titles? Well, I didn't think it was gonna be as big as it is. Even I was like, we're like, oh, start small. I'm like, okay, I'll do a little multiplayer three v three. Yeah. No, it's still big. It's still big. It's taking twice as long as I expected, even after I added time for it. You know, but mostly people were telling me don't do it. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> uh, was it? It was stupid. <laughs> well, the game looks cool, so I mean, I guess it's not too stupid, right? Was it bigger when you first kind of thought about it than it is now? Did it like shrink down, or did you add more onto it? Kind of, what was what's the story there? Originally, I was like, okay, I have this really big idea. I want to like make it modular because I can't. I know I can't do all the content for like the big idea. So I was like, okay, I'll focus on the multiplayer arena combat section of it. But then it's like, I still kind of had that pull towards like, oh, I want there to be like this adventure side, but it's like, I have to like slap myself, like, no, keep the scale small or scope small, keep it in the box. <laughs> it's like, I got six elements that I want to do, but it's like, no, you got to stick to the three. Probably should have only done like two or four skills per element, but I went with eight. You said it's 3v3 multiplayer, so it's not a battle royale, but at the same time, when I first saw this game, you know, I was looking at it and kind of looking around naturally, it's unfair, but you kind of look around for other titles as like a reference point, right? And oh, yeah. for me, the title that jumped out automatically, and I think you already know what it's gonna be, is Spellbreak. It's mm -hmm. like there's some parallels there. So for this game, it's not a battle royale, so it is different. But outside of that, was that something that you kind of found as like a concern going into development where you're like, people, might try to compare it to this and that'll take away from the experience kind of what was your approach with that in mind i mean spell break definitely influenced the development because right from the beginning they kind of inspired me i was like watching i'm gonna go back into the history a little bit if you don't mind I was watching Avatar, The Last Airbender, and Spellbreak was an alpha, and I'm like, all right, I want to make a ba magic battle mage game that's not Spellbreak, yeah. because I made a lot of decisions that I didn't really like at the time, like Battle Royale for one, I was kind of tired of that genre. Yeah. The other thing is they locked themselves into gauntlets, so it's kind of like they used that uh, item pickup model that's seen in like other battle royals yeah. and i was like I'm not gonna do that so to differentiate i kind of like okay i have to avoid their art style i have to make all the skills open class you know you can do any class or skill you want you're not locked into two gauntlets and now fast forward and it's like oh spell break shutting down yeah. and i'm like oh the, the timing i'm getting a lot of the hopium copium like community from the Spellbreak players and they're great. They've been so helpful in the Discord. Like they kind of saved my ass a lot of times. Um, but yeah, now that Spellbreak's shutting down, I kind of get this like, oh, maybe I can like start pushing the art style that direction. Maybe I can do some of the things that they do and I won't be as compared to them. But definitely not Spellbreak. Anyone who plays it will tell you that. <laughs> you know, you actually hit the nail on the head because one thing that I didn't have in the questions that I wanted to talk to you about was the fact that Spellbreak is shutting down. Mm -hmm. And so with that in mind, for you, obviously, like we said, it's not the same, it's very different, but they share kind of a similar fan base. They, they share kind of a similar player bases. So is there a concern that I've heard a lot of people say Spellbreak shut down because it just didn't have enough traction, there wasn't enough saturation in the market for it. And that may just be because there's too many battle rails out there nowadays and it's just, you know, there's too much going on in that area. But is that something that worries you where you're like, maybe it's kind of a fading element of the multiplayer base or or you think, you know, the game's gameplay elements and, and your vision will kind of stand on its own outside of that? So at this point, everything as far as get, getting players has been like 10 times more difficult than i expected though so i don't really have any expectations in that front anymore i'm just gonna try and do the best i can for the players i do have and hope that that will attract more i do not think that the battle mage you know vr type style game is fading out 
I think that Spellbreak had its time where it was like an excellent game, but they just divided their player base too much. They kind of probably like spread themselves out, you know, they went PVE, they went... I'm really just trying to learn from their leadership and they talk about some of the mistakes they made, but I don't think that the Battle Mage game style is oversaturated. Like, are there a lot of Battle Mage games out there right now? Like, You know, I would say Battle Mage, no. I think not at all. Battle Rail is extremely oversaturated, which was a market they tried yeah. to jump into. And I think that was one of the biggest reasons that they kind of went downhill as they progressed, which is probably why they yeah. tried to bring in PvE, but ultimately I think it was too late at that point. I loved I loved Spellbreak. I, I I really did. My biggest gripe was that they really didn't have a story to it. Oh, I hated that. I wanted there to be a story. I don't have a story in mind right now. It's like it's in my head, but it's like how do you pull that out? But it's like Spellbreak kinda has a story. It's like I've watched some of the video clips of the community and they're like all in the lore and they're like picking out any little piece they can. It's awesome. It's kind of like Fortnite, you know, where they have those chapters in between each like season or whatever you call it, um, where they they like progress the story. Maybe, you know, yeah. maybe it's something you could bring into your game as well if you're feeling super ambitious. Maybe if I had a bigger How team, about, if you had like an extra hundred people on board. Yeah, that, that was thirty million dollar budget. Like, yeah, it's it's easier said than done when you just want to throw ideas out there, but it's much harder to actually put it into practice for sure. That's the difficult part figuring mm -hmm. out how. Yeah, with this game, it is kind of a ways off though, correct? Like you're not close to a release date at this point, right? Yeah, I keep like originally I was like trying to put a release date to kind of pressure myself to like get things moving, but and maybe go into early access early on. But now it's like, no, I can't even can't do that. Like to get a multiplayer game to like be into the air, you have to have like a good player base, which was something I originally didn't take into consideration how difficult it would be to get players just like throwing a hot dog down a hallway and like who wants a little sausage? Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's a terrible analogy. <laughs> oh my God. So I guess, you know, talking about how it releases a little ways off with characters and with ideas and like the design elements themselves, how much has that changed as kind of you've been progressing with this game? You have a demo right now, correct? Yeah, but it's really more for like testing, okay. kind of like, okay, here, we're only gonna capture so many people with this demo and some of them will join the Discord and help. Gotcha. It's kind of like bait on a string. <laughs> Gotcha. Probably not the right way to use a demo, you know? <laughs> For a multiplayer game, it might be the perfect way to do it, though, so you can kind of test out those bugs, right? Yeah, there's a lot of bugs. With, with that in mind, actually, kind of with that demo and the people that have been playing it, how much has that impacted kind of the overall trajectory for this game? Has it impacted big core elements? Has it changed little things? Kind of how's that worked for you? Mostly it's people in the Discord and the subreddit are providing feedback and guiding the development. They have ideas. They all have a lot of experience with video games, playing them, Spellbreak especially. Um, we got New World and World of Warcraft people too. So that's like changed the way I'm approaching the development. It's been for me before it was like, okay, I have my ideas. I'm kind of like directing it away. Now it's like, all right, these guys have good ideas. They know what they're talking about. I'm going to kind of listen to them. I guess it's more player driven development now, if that makes sense. It makes sense for a multiplayer game, for sure. Yeah, which is probably an advantage that small indies have over big corporations that are just kind of like, trying to keep the machine running you know it is definitely a fair point i think kind of straying away from from your game specifically for a minute with triple a titles i think their player base is massive and you know yeah. just take it something like call of duty for example where i think they want to implement changes and i think it's something that call of duty's always struggled with because what i always like to say is people love change until they get it and then they hate it players they want to see something different in call of duty and then when they get it they all just hate it and they're just like well this is stupid why'd you put this in and so it's like it's something where you have this huge sample size and i don't think it affects it affects their bottom line too much where they can't make those changes i think and it's something that triple a's and indies really are different on where indie can pivot and change and kind of make these aggressive you know choices and really take some wild things into account and be like hey well why don't we just try this and see what happens you know so it's really different and it's one of those really cool like dynamics in the industry, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent point. And the other thing I've just recently been hearing about is like, okay, some of your most vocal players, that's like only 1% of your player base. Yep, and trolls are only like barely 1%, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 0.1%, maybe, I don't know. Probably, somewhere around there, yeah. Is that something you have that's impacted your game specifically? Not yet, necessarily. There's always, like, haters. <laughs> With social media, that's always going to be something, right? Yeah, yeah. like, oh, this is just spell break. Spell break, it's like a meme spell break we have at home. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so we're talking about development for this game. What is this game built on? Is it Godot? Is it Unity? Is it Unreal? What are you, what are you working on? Uh, Unreal Engine 4. Still not upgrade to five. Kind of like I don't want to switch engines. I know I'm not yeah. like pushing the graph too hard because I gotta be able to kind of run it on other people's PCs. Why Unreal Engine four? It goes back a long time ago. I saw all the sparkly effects. I started in Unity actually before Unreal, but then I was like, okay, I want to do like VFX, and Unreal Engine had Cascade and all the cool stuff, yeah. and so that pulled into that, yeah. There's much more stuff integrated into Unreal, I think, and it makes it easier as a process to kind of go from A to B without using third-party plugins and stuff like that. Yeah, and the other thing is it's multiplayer first. Like, it was for Quake and Unreal, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that was one of my decisions, like, a long time ago, because I knew yeah. I liked multiplayer games. With a game like this is it strictly multiplayer based or is it is there a mode that's outside of that uh there's a mode that's outside of it it's kind of broken right now it's like a solo wave mode okay. kind of for practice yeah. you know but like working working with a multiplayer based game what's the challenge and kind of bring that to life as opposed to something that isn't like where is that difficulty level for you what have you gotten stuck on so far kind of what jumps out is like the most difficult aspect of that i mean all of it is difficult the first like right at the beginning it was the learning curve because like okay i have to learn how to do multiplayer in unreal engine and that starts with usually you start with, uh what's it called local hosted you know where like the the one of the players is the host yeah. so and then transitioning that into a dedicated server that process was also difficult it was like okay like i had some bad habit coding habits that you can get away with when one of the players is the host but when the server is the host it's a little tricky then moving into getting a server backend set up i went with like amazon web services at first and that was a steep learning curve i had to like join another discord to like get all these questions answered because i was following these tutorials and got that up and running but then connecting that to steam and like every step of the way there's like always problems and challenges you know and like bugs are you still working with amazon <laughs> um i'm actually okay so this is what happened man i had it up and running with amazon and it was all good but then i connected steam and i everything just stopped working and i was like what the heck and i started i spent a lot of time trying to figure it out and then eventually out of desperation i rebuilt it on Microsoft Azure's PlayFab okay. and also had the problem and I'm like, what the heck? And then it turned out that like there's this like one line of code in Steam that like you have to disable and it because it blocks incoming connections. Oh and yeah, yeah, it's like there's little traps everywhere. Yep, that's wild. And so now we're on PlayFab. <laughs> <laughs> By a happy yeah. accident, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess you got the extra experience, right? Now you know. And, yeah. And now everybody else knows who's listening to this. So that's 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 good. Yeah. I mean, they're both good services. You know, I'm not going to trash one or the other. You know, is like we're jumping way ahead here, kind of skipping over the environment of the gameplay, but very quickly, this game it's controller compatible, correct? Not currently. Okay. So integrating controller compatibility down the road can be. I don't think integrating controller compatibility is not hard, but making like those sticky keys that can be kind of a difficult aspect of it if you do it after the game's kind of been developed for PC controls. Yeah. Is that something you're thinking about doing? And then kind of related to that, is this game going to be getting ported down the road or is that just not something you're thinking about right now? I mean, the controller thing is on the back of my mind. We've had people talk about it. And basically, I think we're going to have to do some sort of button modifier to be able to access that many different skills okay. yeah so controller support is a goal it's kind of scary because i'm like will it work and someone on the discord's like oh don't worry about it it'll work <laughs> like i love the optimism I, yeah 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 it's like famous last words yeah. <laughs> like, nothing can go wrong there but yeah 
a lot of people want it on console and i have no experience porting a game to console but it's not going to stop me if i can make it happen you know hopefully <laughs> i think i think porting and getting a publisher usually come hand in hand to be honest for a lot of indie developers because they can help expedite that process they kind of know the ins and outs and they can kind of guide you on the right path towards that and some of them specialize in like specific platforms like switch or playstation specifically xbox kind of has been growing more lately to work with publishers but well i guess with publishers is that double-edged sword because they can help but they can also hurt you and there's you know there's a lot of things there but i think before we dive into that topic we should probably actually like talk about your game world and the other aspects of it so talk to me about the game world you're going to be playing in is there going to be like multiple maps you're going to be playing on is there you know kind of a changing environment how's that going to work for players so the idea right now is we'd like to have three maps maybe two to start you know it's kind of like this metaverse idea where they're connected these worlds are connected by portals mm-hmm. and that's kind of like also connecting into the lore of where some of these skills were learned from in the game it's like okay like we're dropping little easter eggs like oh some person in a black leotard and a blue suit or face mask showed us how to freeze someone one day or like this little blind girl showed up and was riding boulders around you know that sounds like avatar stuff right there a little avatar a little mortal combat a little pixar type the idea is like consumer battle mage is like okay everyone got thrown into this world they have all these different skills oh wow like in real life yeah. and they're kind of like trying to teach each other how to use these magical abilities and like that's why everyone can access all of these other skills and so moving forward be like oh if another character shows up boom we got everyone got access to new skills or elements abilities yeah. uh map wise probably three maps i want if the if the discord and the subreddit are interested i would be down for them to help design one of them if they want to i don't know i think that could be interesting for some people yeah for the demo so, right now how many maps are in that there's just one map in the demo is that map going to be part of the final game or is it just kind of a demo map? That's a good question because it's kind of like, I don't know, it's not super polished, but it's, I almost want to keep it in there. Just kind of like nostalgia. It's kind of like, I don't know if you played Paragon, but when Paragon switched their map, I like, that sucked. (laughs) (laughs) I've never played Paragon, but I know from playing Verdansk to, um, I don't know the other map that Call of Duty had that, I was very disappointed they got rid of it. So I completely get that. With the scale for your maps, kind of how do you decide how big you want these to be? It's 3v3. You want players to have the room to be able to move around, but you don't want it to be so big where it slows down gameplay. You know, there's a lot of those like little strategic things where maybe you want to have a level of verticality depending on like the different skill sets your players have. So like there's all those little things you need to factor in. How do you approach that? Yeah. Well, since I have one map, I haven't really approached it much yet. Oh, you haven't started working on the other ones yet? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. I have, especially since I've been updating the movement a lot mm-hmm. with like wall running and wall hanging it's definitely going to change the way the map design is being approached because that needs to be like a smooth flow is going to be the goal. So it's kind of like, all right, when designing the new maps, how are we going to incorporate, like you said, verticality and like wall running more so that it's actually more useful when sliding. The other thing is like color palettes, man, like everything on the first map is green. So every time I post stuff, it's just green. It's like, uh, just make it, purple and like a gold map i don't know yeah there you go um so you you haven't officially started working on the environments of the maps yet outside of that demo one but with the one you have right now kind of what was the biggest challenge in and kind of bringing it to life was you know i guess you said you really haven't looked too far into that like verticality and things like that but kind of like making the different terrain types integrating it with gameplay using lighting strategically you know using those different assets within the unreal store like there's a lot of different things you can kind of use to help you along that process but it's still a pretty aggressive process with a lot that goes into it so how did that work for you so like actual level design and actual game development (laughs) exactly um so the demo map originally was very flat it was yeah not a lot going on there weren't any areas of interest I started by thinking, okay, 
how can I like make this feel better? And I kind of went back to like, okay, start with composition. So I like made all these vantage points like around the map and was like, okay, make this look good from here. Make this look like not good, but the composition, you know, like the general shape of it. That was the first big step. Um, The next big step for me personally was like, okay, we're getting, there's like little snags all around the map where it's like, okay, the height of assets is just a little too high for someone to run across to get caught on it and it just totally breaks the flow. So I was like, okay, now I have to go through and shrink the Z scale of everything down, adding a couple of elements for the wall runs, even though it's just like one part of the map, just so that there's like a place that you can test it in the demo map. The lighting, actually had to detune a lot of the lighting and fog to get it to run better because I have like an old laptop and it was like running at like 14 frames per second. And so I was like, okay, now I've got to learn how to optimize that some. Lighting can really make or break a player experience. And it's something that like is a very, very big part of that like final polished piece that players get to see. Yeah. It's definitely like it's a cool feature, but it's one that, you know, there's a lot that goes into it from a lot of different ways. So definitely, definitely yeah. something to keep in mind. But touching on that, um, an outdoor setting where it's like daytime lighting that I feel would be, in my opinion, more difficult than when I've, I've done like indoor underground, like cave lighting yeah. where it's kind of, yeah. I feel like you can get more atmospheric and just actually just shine lights on things. Mm-hmm. So. I think a lighting artist who could like point me in the direction like, hey, here's how you can fix your outdoor daylighting. Like, right. That would, that would be awesome. Right. Um, yeah. You mentioned portals, by the way. So before we get into combat or get into the gameplay experience, you said they kind of like they work kind of almost as a metaverse where they interlock those different maps in the future as a concept. Outside of that, do they serve like a specific purpose within the game itself or kind of how do they work? Right now, the idea was just to be connecting the different worlds and maps. Okay. But you mentioned in your questions about like a place for a game lobby or something for like player customization, things like that. Yep. Yeah. So I do have a lobby map and it's kind of like a hub. And it was like, the idea is like, oh, all these portals are in this centered lobby map that's connecting everything. But I'm not sure if I want to keep that because it's kind of kind of clunky feeling right now. Okay. But I want to get more ideas. When you say like for player customization, like how do you connect that to the portals? When I said, you know, like a game lobby, I would think, as you mentioned, like a central hub. And when you think of a central hub, maybe you're thinking of like an MMORPG where like your central Mm -hmm. hub is essentially like a village or a city or something. And there's like shops and stores or maybe there's a customization point where like you switch out your, I don't know, your outfit or your armor or your weapons or things like that. Or you can interact with other players that are waiting for lobbies, things like that. I mean, that's that's an MMO thing. I don't I wouldn't necessarily like relate that to multiplayer, but. It was just something that came to mind for me that maybe like a portal system could work for that essentially where like you know you go to the portal and yeah but it's just it was just kind of me spouting ideas essentially i feel like destiny does something like that what's the what's the dwarf mining game i'm forgetting the name of it um Um, they have like a very cool hub on their spaceship where they got like the different customization zones and like all four players in the party can pop in so that would be a little easier to implement as if you had like a near three people somehow meet in the middle of the lobby and then like you can prep there and then go into the next match but that assumes you have a party of three people (laughs) yeah that is fair yeah how do you do matchmaking in your game right now? How does that work? It's not it's not invite based. I'm assuming it's just lot your lobby fills up with people and then you match them or how does that work for you? Yeah, right now it's you just hit a start matchmaking request and then Fab handles that on the back end where it creates a matchmaking queue. And so like all these matchmaking tickets get matched based on different values, basically. Like I need to implement the invite system and the friends system and all that and integrate it with Steam and all the others if Epic wants to get on board. This game isn't like it's, a lot to do. it's not like couch co-op compatible at this point, is it? Um, not currently. I really want to be able to pull off like a split screen just because like if I saw my friend's kids playing this split split screen, I'd probably like shit myself yeah. or cry. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, split screen's kind of yeah. going away. It's interesting. You know, a lot of main mm-hmm. AAAs, they don't 
they don't support it anymore, which I find just bizarre. But it's something that mainly I think is in the indie market. And that's really that's about it at this point. It's unfortunate. Um, yeah, I love split screen. Me too. I, I use it too. I mean, from our generation, I think that's kind of what we grew up on, though, is split screen and multiplayer games, though. So I think you know, it's, it we have the nostalgia on our side too. Yeah, true. With the portals, you mentioned. You know, they kind of serve as like this interconnection between the three different maps. Now, when you say that, does that mean that when you go into a map, potentially you would be like going to other maps, like as you're playing or no, you're just on that one? You mean like if a map has portals and you could jump between maps in yeah, one map? Exactly. Yeah. Crazy idea right there. Um, not currently. Okay, because okay. when you said <laughs> it, I wasn't sure if that's what you meant or not. So no, it was more like the idea was just there's a lobby and that lobby's connected to the uh, other maps via portals. But then it's like, well, what if, like you said, what if a map was connected to other maps and you could jump between them at any point in time? But then it's like, oh yeah, we gotta keep scale, scope and scale down, yeah. man. We already kind of touched on how PvP <laughs> impacts like your development and just the sheer scale of the map impacts how you approach that. So with that in mind, I guess let's segue into the gameplay itself. There's a couple different elements you know you have fire frost earth i'm not sure if you have others those are the ones that i i initially had saw but kind of do you have other abilities and and how do those ones work kind of how does this game implement that i mean there's there's a lot of layers to kind of how that would play out so just talk to me about that for now we'll kind of go from there as far as skills and abilities go there's like double jump there's now levitate where you can kind of like float in the air a little bit um wall running slide uh side juking air juking air breaking <laughs> trying to get into more like little not secret but i guess tech techs i guess they call them is like okay you throw an ice pillar out if you land on top of it at the right time it'll launch you that's currently kind of broken as i've found from some of my play testers <laughs> like they stack them up and then go launch off the map like oh, okay. yeah so there's a lot of stuff we gotta fix there yeah. on the suit. Did you level those up or do they just kind of stay the same how's that work right now there's no leveling but the tech to level everything is there okay. like i made sure to do like the hard way of learning the epics gas system which is like their gameplay abilities it's kind of like gives you this back end for game design where it's like you can just put which what level each skill is and change the stat pretty easily okay uh, so that's nice it was hard to set up but now that it's here it's like dude i that's why i kind of hinted at the little it's not a skill tree but the skills each one has points you can put into it it doesn't do anything currently but it's like maybe in the future <laughs> gotcha okay what about the elements themselves kind of how does that impact gameplay and and how does that impact the world itself kind of as the game progresses the primary attacks you can pick one right now and it'll give you certain buffs or debuffs like fire attack presently will increase your attack damage and speed and is a stacking buff frost will drain the enemy's stamina and can freeze after three hits earth element will create like increased armor and health regen currently some players want it to be so that if you go down one elemental line that you'll get benefits from that so like say you go all earth element skills you get like bonus stats for certain things yeah. but do we want that in the game or do we want everything to remain open and it's kind of a design decision i want there to be a little more interactivity between elements like breaking ice walls with like boulders I'm not sure what you mean by how do the elements affect the world i would say like say you're i don't know you're picking up a boulder so you're ripping it out of the earth or something like that is that oh, does it like actually affect the environment or is it just kind of that aesthetic like it comes up and it just has effects layered on top of your world um, yeah, yeah currently it does not affect it okay. but that's a cool idea i'm not sure how i would like if you ripped a boulder out imagine like having to have some sort of voxel terrain or something that'd be kind of nuts yeah be cool if you could knock okay did you ever play twisted metal <laughs> i did i did play twisted metal yeah do you remember how you could like alter the maps back in the day you do like the weird secret things like knock over the eiffel tower yeah vaguely, yeah. <laughs> yeah something like that would be cool so maybe we could do something where if you pull off the secret you can alter the map with that would be cool with the elements 
something that jumps to mind for me is like, I guess the only thing I could reference it to would be um, Demon Slayer, where you have like different forms for each of your powers. So you have like, I don't know, air breathing fourth form or something like that. Are there multiple <clears throat> versions of your attacks for each element or is it just the one? It's just the one, but that is an interesting idea too. Kind of like stances almost. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, that you'd be multiplying the amount of stuff you could do, but that's kind of like something we're thinking or we're thinking about. It's on the back burner. It would be like kind of like rune systems, kind of like a talent system where it's like modifies. So imagine you have like a fireball, but then you can like throw a modifier in it and that fireball then explodes on hit. It does like four more smaller fireballs, you know? Yeah. Ideas, so many of them, so little time though, right? It's like we could talk about ideas all day, but how are they going to get implemented? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> because talking about it is the easy part. Then you got to actually go and do it. And that's when it gets sticky. That's for sure. You said skills can potentially down the road get leveled up. Does that mean you have a skills tree in mind or like, is that not something you're currently thinking about? It's on the back burner. It's in the back of my mind burning. It's like, it's a design decision, right? I don't want to prevent players from being able to use certain skills. Like they have to put points in to unlock them. Mm -hmm. Cause I kind of want to like, just trying to destroy this whole like class idea yeah. but even though a battle mage is a class so it's kind of like <laughs> nested in yeah but i do want to reward players who want to like oh i like these skills and i want to put points and time into leveling them up and i think there should be some sort of reward for that and like a progression system so there probably will be a skill tree at some point mm -hmm. It's going to be up to the Discord. With combat itself, is it all element-based or is there actual weapons-based combat? How does that work? It's all element-based. Okay. I've been stockpiling uh, free weapons animation assets, though, just in case in the future at some point the bigger idea happens. But What about, <laughs> like, what about a crafting system or anything along that lines? Is, is that part of it? No, no. Not currently. I can't. I would love to. I love crafting and I love customization, but it's like that's it's so much work to keep adding on and adding on and testing and debugging. Yeah, no, that's a great point. You said this game really doesn't have a story at this point. We kind of talked about how Spellbreak has that PVE. Is that something you've mentioned the waves? Is there any other concepts outside of that you want to bring in in terms of like a PVE style approach to this or no? You want to have multiplayer and then kind of that like, I guess, wave based tutorial kind of mode. Yeah, so it'll be probably the wave bit mode. There'll be a practice mode. It'll probably be more like a time trial type thing where you kind of beat your uh, high score speed time. Okay. I would love to, but I got to keep the scope on track from the multiplayer first. Mm -hmm. That's kind of that modular design idea, but it's it's tough. <laughs> I get it. I get it. As scope creep is one of the biggest problems in development because you want to do so much, but it's just, you know, like you said, you really need to, if you keep adding on, you'll never release the game. So you got to release yeah. it eventually. Um, with that though, with your game, it's multiplayer based. And I think with multiplayer games, in my opinion, sometimes to kind of subset, like not having a story per se, people will lean into creating these like really interesting characters that you play as that kind of suck you in. So with your game, you're working on these different characters. Talk to me about the challenge in kind of creating those. That was a good way to set that up because one of my things was like, okay, if I can't really do a story, maybe I can make interesting characters who have stories and that'll kind of like tie them together. Challenges for characters was just learning how to sculpt, obviously, originally. <laughs> but did you? So, um, so with that, really quick, like inserting the uh, the next part of this question: How did you do that? Was it ZBrush? Was it Blender? Kind of how did you approach that? Well, a long time ago, I started with Blender, and all I did was vertex modeling, where you would take each point and move them, mm. and then subdivide it. And that I look at that now, I'm like, that's insane. <laughs> like, why would you ever do that? Now you ZBrush. Probably just because like that's what some tutorial was using, and I was like, I'll right, try it out. Yeah. And now uh, I like it a lot. It's way better. Than Blender. I'm not saying it's way better. Blender can do more things, but it's like I open Blender, I don't know the interface, the, sh the shortcuts anymore. So it's kind of tough. Okay, gotcha. Um, 
I just like ZBrush. Like it's similar to when you do video editing. When you start out, you either start out with Premiere Pro or Final Cut. And I think they're both pretty similar, but at the end of the day, once you learn one, you're not going to go to the other one just because you have to relearn everything. So it's probably similar with something like that, where it's like, you know, ZBrush, you don't want to go back to Blender. So stuff like that. I get it. I'm not saying I won't go back to Blender. I would never say that. I love Blender. <laughs> Blender, stay free. Stay free, Blender. <laughs> I love the uh, the political correctness. You're, you're making sure everything stays very, very on point. I like it. Um, all right. So like, talk to me about the challenge outside of that, though, right? Because you want to create these characters. You want to make them unique and different from each other. So kind of how do you how do you wrap your mind around that and kind of approach that when you're creating each of them? Sometimes it's inspired by real life, like events and things that happen in people. And then a lot of times I'll go like through a, are you asking like about the process of creating these characters? Yeah, or? I mean, the whole process itself. Yeah, I mean, from like when you kind of think about it to when you're creating it to when you're thinking about implementing like these different elements and how they're going to feel on the different, I assume each character can use like all the elements or am I wrong there? Yeah. Okay. So each character can use all the elements. There's kind of this little idea that like future characters would bring in new things. That's how they'd be introduced. Oh, but okay. that's, yeah, that's down the road. So my process is like some spark will happen and then I'll like scour Pinterest and just build up this like visual library of, okay, what do I want the clothes to look like? What are, like, what's the story like behind this character? It's kind of like you're building their backstory with like little hints. I don't know how to yep. explain it. Then it's into sculpting time. And then it kind of texture it up. With characters, are they customizable or are they what you see is what you get? Right now, it's what you see is what you get. Okay. I want to do like minor cosmetic changes, like options, say like sunglasses, hats, maybe like different colored outfits or something. Yeah. <laughs> something simple. I kind of wish that maybe like going forward someday I'll have like a modular character system, mm -hmm. but like I don't, under I still don't understand how they pull that off without like having a lot of overlap on like armor sets and stuff. We talked about gameplay, we talked about the characters, but we didn't talk about like the actual game modes themselves. So kind of how do those work within the game? Like, are there different types of modes? Kind of how does how does like just an average match play out? So right now I have to keep the number of game modes very limited. It's all about not fragmenting the player base. And also, obviously we're still in alpha testing. So we're doing 1v1s. We're going to move to 2v2s for testing. And then we're going to move to 3v3. That will be the main game mode. Um, I believe the round time will be between 10 to 15 minutes and it'll be score-based team death match. Okay. There will be, I want there to be a rotating game mode and say it'll be like a capture the like cap dominion or is that right where you Domin capture the domination, domination. yeah domination. yeah you capture a point it's kind of like i have points set up around the map they're like waiting for that okay. <laughs> yeah there's like a few different ideas for the rotating game mode but like i said don't want to split the player base too much but that's one of Spellbreak's biggest challenges was like okay you got to have a lot of people on each map you have all your different server time zones and all these different game modes yeah. yeah do you use your discord server and like your feedback from demo players to kind of fuel what modes you're going to put in or or how does that work yeah yeah i know like you probably might have saw someone mention domination like i've had another person actually that kind of influenced the wave mode i had a person mention on twitter sent me a message showing me this other game where like the mode was like you run and you collect these little like I'm going to call them crystals. And then you go and you deposit them. And like, that's how you score points for your team. So the wave mode is actually a three phase wave mode. It's called uh, it's gather, defend and conquer. So the first phase of the wave mode, that's GDC. That was my stupid play on the, the DDC. Yeah. Anyway, um, first mode or first phase, you gather the crystals, which that's connected into like the lore of the creatures that are called the, the calling so that's like this other side thing and then you deposit them they defend and then you conquer you know it's kind of and kind of looking back over the last two years 
is there anything you would change in terms of like how you've approached the development of this game? Like, is there something you would do differently now or, or kind of what's your thought? I would do things differently now. I can't say that I would have done it differently back then because it's like, oh, did I have any of that, yep. you know, experience back then? Something I've been thinking about is like, okay, like now I'm doing more promotion and really focused on like the subreddits and discords, like kind of getting everyone on board and getting feedback. Uh, moving forward, it's like I would have definitely hammered on a newsletter, get the discord feedback loop firing off right off the beginning. And then like, if I'm going to do multiplayer, shrink the scale, like whatever I think is half, cut that in half. Like. <laughs> Um, the most important thing is getting a little community going and getting a good feedback loop. That's what I'm thinking right now. Gotcha. Do you have a window in mind for when you want to release this game yet or no? Yeah. Uh, like six months ago would have been cool, but (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't ready. (laughs) Yeah. No, I got a, it'll be after 2023. It's, there's a lot of features that I want to be in there. I want there to be like a progression system. And mostly it's going to be getting like a good solid player base mm-hmm. to have. So people have enough people to play with, you know, like you're not going to be sitting in a queue forever. And it's like, okay, what is the magic number for that? You know, it's interesting kind of- with indie games, it's almost like a release date. And I know it's weird to say, but it's almost like a release date isn't important anymore because I think indie devs, they'll do demos and then they have like early access and then they roll out like, you know, version 1.0 and then 2.0. And like, it's just this ever evolving process. So I think like release dates are less important for indie devs. It's more just like evolving the overall experience and bringing in players, especially with multiplayer games and then things like that. I mean, it, it's all about kind of that progression of experience and progression of kind of that growth and player base. Yeah. I should be asking you questions. Nope, nope. I, t- I, I put on a good front, but trust me. I- exactly. Um, talk to me about the industry as a whole. So this question is a little bit broader. It's not a little bit, it's a lot broader. But over the last few years, I think indie development and AAA development is kind of, it's evolved a lot to say the least. And you know, there's, there's pros and cons with everything, but I think with this industry, the pros are, are very obvious to see you know there's exposure more than there's ever been indie developers it's easier to make a game per se than it has has ever been there's a lot of good things going for the industry um it has a lot of attention on it but with that i think there are some negatives and that's probably just the pessimist in me but i feel like there are some negatives within the industry that do need addressed um that do not get the exposure or the the talking points that they deserve so for you specifically, kind of how do you feel about that and kind of what would you key in on if, you know, if, if there was a negative thing you would, you know, want to change per se? Negative thing about the overall industry or? Overall industry, AAA development. Yeah. Oh man, you're going to awaken the chip on my shoulders from way back when, dude. Let's hear it. Um, Okay, chip on the shoulder. This is part of what actually got me into making this game. It was like a series of events of just like, okay, applying for all these AAA studios and eventually you start getting some hits and then they're like, okay, do an art test for us. And then you're like, all right, a week of time working on this thing when you can. And then they're like, all right, we want all these assets. Sign this paperwork. Uh, like, it's like, okay, that's a shady practice. Yep. Calling you guys out. So I'm not going to be doing that anymore. Like, yeah. <laughs> so sorry, sorry. That's a little chip on that shoulder. As far as like as being an indie, it feels like the algorithms are stacked against us because we're smaller. Like, and I don't know if that makes sense. I think they favor big companies that have all the promotional momentum and budgets. So that's kind of rough. Kind of brushing the surface there, you know, what you'd mentioned. I had never heard that, but that does sound pretty shady. One other thing worth noting is like a lot of publishers go into the practice where they'll pick up like a hundred small indie games or something, you know, like a lot of small indie games will bring them all in. They'll just kind of get them across the finish line. But then one of them just will hit, you know, like Among Us is a great example. It it exploded and it, it took over the industry. And that's kind of like, I think publishers play that numbers game where they're like, one of these games might be great, you know, 
and we're going to get yeah. just far enough where we can profit from it. And again, the industry is full of opportunity. There's a lot of great things about it. And I, I am in no way saying that the negatives outweigh the positives, but I do think there are some things that, that deserve to be addressed and improved upon. And like you'd mentioned, like with what you're talking about with, you know, trying to get into a AAA company, most developers would not talk about that because then they get blacklisted by these these companies because they're like, I don't want to hear you shitting on my company. Yeah. So we're not going to hire you anymore. And publishers are the same way. They hear Pete, they hear a dev company like talking shit about overall publishers or saying they got treated wrong. And then publishers are like, well, I don't want to go near you then because I don't want to get sucked into that. And it's like this weird like domino effect where was it? In, yeah. in, in New York, where they say, if you see something, say something, but nobody says anything because they don't yeah. get drawn into it. So it's one of those things. But, you know, that's that's my rant of the day. Um, but yeah, it sounds like it's you're touching on the dark side of it. You know, it's, it's kind of like the inner pessimist in me. Dude, it's it's like, OK, like I could be in that situation right now. You know, it's like oh, publishers like are shotgun blasting, but just giving enough keep them going, keep them going. And then they like swoop the few that are able to build enough of the momentum and player base. It's like, yeah. that's not a good system. That is not a healthy system. And I'll, I'll have to clarify, because in no way am I saying every publisher is bad, because there are a lot of really good publishers out there that have a great impact on the industry and indie devs, for sure. But, you know, there are, there's always a couple of them out there that are, are not the best. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it's just one of those one of those aspects. And I could talk about, you know, the industry and the things going on within it all day. I mean, it, it fascinates me how things have changed and how AAAs are promoting devs and, and the acquisitions going on between smaller studios and larger. I mean, there's so much that has been going on, especially since the market spiked in, in 2020 and 2021. So it's just yeah. it's, it's a wild world out there, man. There's a lot of crazy, crazy stuff. In the with some of the newer stuff since 2020, I feel like you kind of have some specific examples without giving anything away or any name. I don't know. I think AAAs right now, they are buying up a lot of smaller studios. And from what I've heard, it has less to do with like ac ac acquiring their projects as it does their manpower. Because uh, okay. AAAs, they, they want coders and they want people who know what they're doing so they can push these large, large scale projects to the finish line and they just can't find them anymore. It's, it's really hard. And it's one of the, it's one of the more interesting parts of the industry because you're buying like, you know, Microsoft is buying tons and tons of, of smaller studios, but it's not necessarily to be like, you know, what's it to take over their IPs and like have a monopoly on the industry. It's more to like, shore up the holes in the projects they're already building essentially so see i would assume they're like all right let's like eliminate our competition and you know also have all this ip we can use yeah. but it's like they, they've got a big ship and it's like leaking holes it's not like exactly yeah it's interesting and i don't know with, with things like call of duty like microsoft everybody thought when they bought the rights to uh call of duty that they thought they were going to take it away from playstation and it's like I don't know. They had, they came out and said that's never going to happen. And I a lot of people are like, I don't believe that for a second. It'll be a Microsoft exclusive, but they're going to lose money if that's the case. I mean, and they don't want to lose money. So I don't I don't think that's going to happen. I think. Yeah, always multi -platform. I've always had in the past kind of had this like I against like always watching Microsoft, but it's like I feel like they've been doing better more recently, you know, but maybe that's just a PR campaign. But no, I think they're definitely doing better. I think Microsoft is spiked over the last few years. PlayStation, yeah. I think, will always hold like that title of they like to bring in those really great first person or not first person, those single player games. I think they'll always have that. Mm -hmm. And I think PlayStation will always be like that platform where indie devs kind of gravitate to more than Microsoft. But I think Microsoft is definitely like had a massive impact over the last couple of years on the direction of gaming with Game Pass and, and with everything they're doing behind the scenes. I think there's a lot to take away from that on kind of where gaming is going to go and just multi-platform integration, like with cloud gaming and everything else, like what they're doing is, is going to be a huge deal in the next like 
decade, I think. Yeah, I think that's going to be their biggest advantage is the cross-platform integration because they got the PC and consoles. Yep. Like it's it's easier to work with them on that. Yep, exactly. But um, you mentioned Game Pass. It's kind of like I wonder how Game Pass is going to affect indies. You know, like you know, that's a great point because it's. And again, I don't, I don't have the answer to that, but I think it's something that PlayStation has been trying to bring in. I don't think they've done it successfully, but they are still trying to do it. And it kind of creates this void where you're wondering contractually how it's going to impact indie developers. And I don't, I, I don't have any idea how that would really play out. You would wonder if like Steam would try to implement like a, a pass of some sorts down the road. And if they did, that would definitely negatively impact indie devs. But I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's just layers on layers. You don't really know what the future is going to exactly play out. And then you have Nintendo yeah. on the other side of things, just remaking like the same game. They have Zelda, they have Mario, and they have everything else, and they're content with that. But that's a whole another conversation for another time. I want to know what they're going to do for their next console. Like, I hope they don't try to like, oh, we're going to make it a regular console. It's like I don't, I, I don't know, they, I don't know. The Switch was so successful. I don't see that happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I think they're stuck there now. <laughs> yeah. And I mean in a good way. And I mean Steam mimicked them with the Steam Deck, so I don't think there's the demand oh. is higher than ever for like handhelds. I don't think they're gonna go away from that. Oh, that's good. They just keep making it, you know, they they made the light or whatever and they'll come out with like the new version, but it's just a different color. Like so I don't yeah. know. Nintendo Yeah. Nintendo's notorious for if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And they haven't fixed anything in a long time, so. <laughs> oh, man. The salt. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? I don't know. I won't get into that. All I'll say is there needs to be some some new ideas pushed into Nintendo, I guess. We'll see what happens, though. That's really all the questions I had, man. I, I appreciate the time. You know what? I think we covered a lot of different stuff. I know you're kind of still working through everything with your game, so I'm excited to see where it goes in the next couple of months. 